0: Thanks, Lyndall. Great to have that, uh, that word in front of us. And that's uh, if you can keep that open, um, that'll help us today as we uh, work through uh, Mark chapter 7 today. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, sin and, uh, and holiness and those sorts of things. And uh, if that's going to be a useful sermon, we'd better ask God for help, I suspect, um, so that we don't, don't all kind of block our ears and duck our eyes. So how about, how about we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word read to us today. Thanks that you preserved it. Thanks that it's living and active. I pray now, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to hear it, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and change us so that we might live in ways that are pleasing to you. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, today's uh, section of Mark's Gospel, we've been working through Mark's Gospel, we're up to chapter 7. Today's section of Mark's Gospel starts... Uh, with Jesus having crossed over to the other side of the lake. He's back on the Jewish side of the lake. So Israel, north of Israel, and on the northwestern shore of the Lake of Galilee. This is the place, a uh, place called uh, Gennes- uh, Gennesaret, uh, which looks kind of beautiful, and apparently because of the valley there, uh, is really fertile around there, so a, a rich, uh, beautiful part. Uh, of, uh, of the world, we hear, if you look at, uh, at verse 7 of, uh, chapter, uh, of chapter 7 of verse 1, we see uh, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now you think to yourself, okay, so they just ducked down from Jerusalem to the Lake Gennesaret. Until you work out, uh, it's about 200 kilometers It's about from here to Lake George, if you're driving to Canberra. They went without public transport, without buses, without cars, without motorbikes, without scooters, uh, 200 kilometres, more or less, to, to find Jesus. Why would you leave Jerusalem, the capital city, and go, funnily enough, to Lake George? It's probably a pretty good example, isn't it? To a lake where Jesus is. Why would you go? Well, here's a possibility. Have have a look at the verses just before chapter 7 there, verses 53 to 56 of chapter 6. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran through that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he went into the towns, uh, villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Well, that's a good reason to make a trip from the capital city, isn't it? Let's go and meet the teacher who's bringing healing to the regions of our country. That'd be a fantastic reason for the religious leaders to do all that massive amount of travel. It's it's actually not why they're there. The leaders actually have Shopping in mind when uh, when Carol and I were in um, in Bali last year, lovely little aside, we got up early in the morning, it was like five o 'clock in the morning, and we went to this marketplace uh, it 's a marketplace for food and flowers and offerings to idols and all sorts of stuff it 's just stuff everywhere, and uh, very early in the morning it 's filled with the locals, and so we went there and it was just chaotic and smelly and confined and it was awesome. It was fantastic. Bustling and very, very dirty. (laughs) Very, very dirty. And so when you come back from being at the market, what do you want to do? Well, I I think in the end you want to do something like this uh, with some of this, don't you? A little bit of detile on the old hands. Okay. All right. We decontaminated. Very good. Uh, So it could be uh, that the... The reason that the, the Pharisees are so upset at this point here has something to do with the fact that they're dirty eaters. Okay? Did, did you have a look. Have a look with me uh, at verses 2 to 5 here. Uh, they came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus, verse 2, and saw some of his disciples eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, Um, The Pharisees are pulling them up here because they were dirty people. That's not the point. The point is that they weren't ceremonially clean, okay? And that's hard for us to fit in our heads because we just don't understand ceremonially clean. It's not a category we have. So the idea was if you go to the marketplace, there might be people there who don't obey the law. The body of teaching that had grown up basically said if you... Touch someone who doesn't obey the law, you're unclean. If they've touched some food and prepared it, and then you've touched the food, guess what? You're unclean. In order then to be someone who's in right standing before God, your job is to go home and then eat, to wash the uncleanness from the dirty pagans off you so that you can be devoted to God. Does that make sense? So it's not strictly about cleanliness, although I actually think that's a wonderful part of God's Word, that, that they did wash. I think that's actually really healthy and helpful, and, and I like my Dettol hand rub after I come home from the shops. But that wasn't the point. It was to do with cleanliness from a ceremonial perspective. And I think they're essentially saying, Haha, we have got you, Jesus. We've got you, okay? We're not interested in talking about all those ridiculous healings you're doing We're not interested in talking about any of that. What we want to pull you up on, Jesus, is the unbelievable silliness of your dirty-handed disciples. Now, is that hard-hearted? It's tremendously hard-hearted. But they rejoice because they've got hard hearts and what they're looking for is an opportunity to trip up Jesus. Jesus responds to them in this way. Have a look with me at verses 6 to 8. He, rep- uh, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. See, see what Jesus is saying is, you've traded real religion for an external shell of religion. Your religion, you speak with your lips, but it's miles away from your hearts. There's a terrible saying that people say, uh, the world tells lies, Christians sing lies. You know all these wonderful songs we sing? I love you, God. I'll always follow you all my days. You have my whole heart. My. I hope it's not true, but the idea is like that, that we would sing something that didn't reflect our hearts that we would have a religion that was separated from the core of who we truly are. And Jesus condemns them and says, this is who you guys are. If you want to pick me up on that, this is what you have. You have traded God's law for a human tradition. Now, here's the interesting thing. What, what the Jews were trying to do, what the Pharisees were trying to do was uh, they were trying to live obediently. So we, we need to give them a break at some level, Okay. We actually need to find some compassion somewhere for the intention of the Pharisees. Apparently, there were 613 laws that the Jews had. But they figured sometimes there were bits that were a bit fuzzy. Okay? And if there was any fuzziness, what had happened was people commentated on the laws and said, well, in a situation where this isn't 100% clear, I'd recommend that you do this. Over time, that body of I'd recommend became to be revered became to be respected because wise Pharisee teachers had said it before. And so I I might say, uh, hey, look, the reason we don't do this is because rabbi such and such told us in this case we should do that. Does this make sense? So where there was gap, where there was unclarity, what they were seeking to do was fill it up so there were no gaps, no mistakes, no errors, and everything had a rule. The problem was they had added to the law what God hadn't made clear. Have a listen to this bit from Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says this, Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, is giving uh, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command to you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So should we add to the law? No, we shouldn't. God said, this is what I've given you, <laughs> and... Figure it out. But they decided figuring it out isn't good enough. We must have something. And so they created this whole body of additional teachings. Uh, Later on, that would be uh, turned into a a formal written book called the Mishnah that helps Jews to obey the law in every single aspect of their lives. Well, how did they put God's law aside for their tradition? Um, I want to use an example uh, from the car park. Imagine this car park here was actually set aside uh, for disabled people, okay? So it has a purpose. It's set aside for disabled people. And then all of a sudden, one week you come and you find some black paint has been put over the wheelchair sign and there's a new sign at the end of the car park that reads reserved for pastor. It had a purpose before, didn't it? In fact, it had a, go- a government obligation that we need to have uh, 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 disabled parking. But I thought it was pretty important that I, I get looked after. In fact, you'll be far more sympathetic to my point if I change the sign to read this. So now it's a perfectly reasonable thing. It was set aside for a good purpose, but now it's set aside for an even better purpose. Okay? It's no longer able to be used for what it was intended for before. It has a new purpose. Okay? Have a listen to what Jesus says that they're doing in Mark uh, 7, 9 to 13. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. What essentially they'd done, there was an obligation. They were supposed to, commanded by God to honour their parents and to use their resources to do so. What they did essentially was put a new sticker over the top that said Corban. Whatever that means, it meant devoted to God. And because it's devoted by God and because I have to keep my oath... I couldn't now use it to help my parents. So they, they basically created a category to rob the commandment of their obligation to honor their parents. And Jesus calls them out and says, that's wrong. Your tradition is trumping what you should do with the command. And their disobedience comes from a mistake, a, a profound mistake about the way holiness works. Uh, let's have a look at a human body here. This is not very complex, but uh, the point's well made by Jesus. When it comes to matters of the heart, he says, "You guys have a bit of a problem. Food goes in here, comes out there. Have a listen to oh, have a listen to what he says. So we'll do it again. It'll pop up. Have a listen to what he says in the next little section here, uh, verses fourteen to eighteen. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him. So he actually he said, he said his bit to the uh, the leaders, and now he calls the crowd to him." And he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Just quietly, and I'm just interrupting the reading there, just quietly. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? No? It goes in here, it comes out there somewhere. And they say that, they say, <laughs> I think it's extraordinary. His disciples asked him about this parable. How parabolic is it? Are you with me? Some people are laughing. Do you, do you get it? It's not one of those twisted ones where you go, I'm not sure what Jesus is on about here. I think this is the most, one of the most straightforward things in the New Testament. Notice Jesus' response in verse 18. Are you so dull? He said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It can't come from outside and defile the heart. It just passes through. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body, Jesus says in verse 18. In saying this, Mark observes, Jesus declared all foods clean. This is a really big deal, okay? Jesus is saying, it's not clean this passing through that defiles you the issue of defilement has to do with your heart you've got to get your heart right and this is just going through your alimentary tract your digestive system it bypasses your heart it doesn't do that now that's troubling because some of us here will know the law won't we and we'll know that in the old testament there were clean and unclean foods weren't there and so at some level we're going what what are you doing here jesus Well, I think Jesus is talking about the law and he's saying, I'm doing something different. I've come to fulfill the law. So the law has three parts roughly to it. Um, A ceremonial part, which is to do with how you do the temple and sacrifices. A civil part, which is how you organize your society. And a moral part, which explains how we're to live in relation to others. These three parts. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's coming and saying, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to show you its ultimate intention. I want to show you what it's really for. Okay, And so Jesus comes, bang, and he's going to put an end to the sacrificial system by dying on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. He is going to change the civil system by saying, it's not just Jews versus Gentiles. That's not how we're going to work going forward. It's actually going to be Christians, Jews and Gentiles living together. And the moral law, a whole bunch of people say, well, the moral law just goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we see a lot of continuity. All I'd like to say to you is, think about how much more Jesus pushes the moral law. So the, the Old Testament says, don't murder, right? And we would say today, don't murder still stands. And that's correct, isn't it? I want to keep living in the same society as you. Please say yes. Yes, it's, it's, it's still true. Here's the thing, though. Here's the really challenging stuff Jesus says with the Ten Commandments. One of the other Ten Commandments is do not commit adultery, isn't it? And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed Murder. If you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So there is continuity. Jesus is still concerned that we don't murder and that we don't commit adultery. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't just say, and I'm going to let you keep the moral law. He actually says, I'm going to fulfill that and change that and make that even more extraordinary than it was before. Do you see? So here... When Mark observes, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, that is a massive explosion on the horizon of Israel. It's a really big deal. Because one of the ways they had understood themselves to be Jews was to say, we eat this and we don't eat that. How do you know we're a Jew? Have a look at our table. The problem is, if I keep thinking that everyone who's not a Jew is going to make me unclean, if I keep thinking that every item of food that isn't on God's list is going to make me unclean, how can this new church of Jews and Gentiles eat together? Can you see how that's going to be a huge problem? And it's not that Jesus is saying that the Old Testament law was rubbish. He's saying, I've come to give you something even better, a new way of living that will sit Jews and Gentiles together under me. Extraordinary. Now we get to what really is the problem. It's not hand washing and it's not bumping into heathens at the markets. Jesus says, Here's where the real problem lies. Have a look with me at verses 20 to 23. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person, Jesus is saying. So here's the thing. The problem is in here. So if I tell you the way that you are to be right with God is by washing your hands a lot. Number one, you'll have cleaner hands. Wash your hands. Go for gold. If you want to use Dettol, it's good good material. But I tell you what, it'll never cleanse. It's the, uh, it's the Shakespeare where I've lost my reference, out, out, down spot. Someone tell me, where are we? Macbeth. You can scrub your hands as much as you want. You have a murderous heart, yeah? That's the problem. So getting clean, cannot be for us, because sin is bound in our heart, in our inner being, it can't be a matter of external observance. It has to be a transformation in here. Something radical, something life-changing has to happen in here. So what's the solution? Well, wonderfully, the New Testament doesn't leave us hanging. Have a listen to what it says in Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What's happened is we've crucified, we have killed our old life. It's been put to death. In its place is a spirit what, what's the name of the Spirit? We said it in the, uh, we said it in the creed before. The, the Holy Spirit. What will His job be as He takes up residence in our renewed hearts? Well, he'll, His job will be to work holiness, won't it? So we've crucified our old self. We have substituted in this beautiful Holy Spirit. His job is to work holiness inside us from the inside out. That transformation is what's on offer. Have a listen to it again in Colossians where Paul writes this. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Have have a listen to this do not touch, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use. They're based on merely what? Human commands and teaching. See, here's the thing. He says, actually, what's happened is something radical. You died with Christ. Your life, if you're a Christian, you have buried your old life in baptism. You've been raised to new life. You have a new heart and a new spirit put in you, a new ability to say yes to God and no to sin. That transformation, that transformation is the hope that we have. And it's the reason that I can exhort you to live a holy life. Not so that you wash your hands a lot, and so that your hair's always combed when you come to church, and I think you're a nice person. But because I know the living God is working holiness in your heart if you've killed your old life by repenting of it and leaving it to die. Well, that's good. That's okay for food. So we know food passes through us, right? Food passes through. It doesn't get to our hearts. I want to challenge us about where we're up to today in our world. We've been in a marketplace with Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now we're here at church, and we're going to go home, and I want to think about two things. This is a mouth. Eyes and ears are what I want us to think about. Here's our hearts. I want to suggest to you That there is a path from our ears, what we listen to, into our hearts. From what we expose ourselves to, what we listen to, into our hearts. And a whole bunch of you will listen to various things through the week, as I do. And as I sing along to the song, or whatever, as I do my commute, or as I'm vacuuming or whatever i'm doing here's the thing what are those lyrics saying to me what are the lyrics of our world that we have a that have a super catchy beat that are wrapped in sugar and bacon and covered in honey what what are those lyrics about what do they want who's at the center of them what's it for I listen to some stuff, and and some stuff you just go, actually, I need to turn that off. If that's running around in my head, if that's become an earworm, you're familiar with this? If If that's become a song you can't get out of your head, what is that doing to me? It can't be that I dismiss it and say it's just music. It's getting in. It's speaking to my heart. It's changing my desires. It's schooling the things that I think are really important. And I've got to tell you guys, Most of the stuff that makes it to popular play isn't exhorting you to holiness in Jesus, is it? To faithfulness to your husband or to your wife. To humility, to generosity with your finances. Because there is a soundtrack to our lives, and I reckon it's speaking straight in here. I want to challenge us this morning to think about it. And if we do that, we've got to think about our eyes too, don't we? What am I watching? What what am I... What am I watching? What am I consuming through this opening and this opening that speaks to my heart? What do I watch? Or even better, if you're not a watcher, what do I read? How how do these words get into my heart? Is what I'm reading exalting Jesus, helping me to passionately follow him, to put the kingdom first? Or I'm being sold with rubbish that is corrupting my heart? All I want to say is it's easy to say that the food comes in and goes out and to be totally ignorant of our eyes and our ears. I find this stuff challenging. I want us to not be naive. I believe we still need to think about inputs. We still need to think about inputs today. Jesus did not say everything you listen to and everything you see is holy. Here's a beautiful exhortation from Philippians. Incidentally, why don't you read this a bit? I find it really helps me. Here's what it says in Philippians 4.8. Have a listen to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I just love, you know, you you, you hear wholesome family values, that that kind of write-off kind of line. I just love how genuinely wholesome that is. I mean, that is, that's the stuff that should be feeding our souls, that should be getting in our ears, that should be filling our eyes. Think about such things. Think about such things. I want to finish, in the last couple of minutes that we've got, uh, briefly to talk about this guy called John Flavell. I was reading a book called um, Puritan Portraits. It's just a little uh, summary of different Puritans, people who lived in, uh, in the 17th century in England. And uh, this guy was quite extraordinary. And uh, I was reading a little summary of his life. I haven't read his work yet, although I'm planning to. He talked about two things. He talked about heaven work and heart work. And we're talking today about our hearts. The heaven work he talked of was what he called focusing on what's to come. Talk to yourself, meditate in your heart on what it will be like to see Jesus face to face. And what it will be to, like to walk in glory, to know the Lord as we are truly known. Meditate on that. And I went, how embarrassment. When was the last time I did that? I can actually tell you when the last time I did that was. I was on a camp, a leadership camp, and they had a retreat day where we set aside the whole day for prayer. And they said, you can't do any leadership work. Take a Bible, go in the bush, don't eat anything today and talk to God. God. And I sat down with Revelation 22 open, and I read a sentence at the time, and I said, God, convince my heart that this is true. Give me a longing for this. Sweet moments. Heaven work. Heart work, he said, is the introspection where we say, Lord Jesus, search my heart. Have a look at me. Find out whether there is any error in me. Convict me by a Holy Spirit heart work. Ask God to work on your heart. Show me where I sin, Lord. Lead me to repentance and brokenheartedness. Heart work. Here's the thing, guys. Both of these sound odd, don't they, to us? Yeah, that sounds good. When, when would I schedule that in, actually? If it matters, we will, won't we? If it matters, we will. Here's John Owen in a a thing called Mortification of the Soul. I I, I just love this. I'm going to read them through quickly. I'll, I'll put them on Facebook. You can find them later. But I want you to hear this. Here's a guy who's trying to be really intentional at watching his heart. Have a listen to what he says. Keep the holiness of God clear in your mind. Keep God's holiness clear. Remember that sin desensitizes you to itself. How good is that? Sin desensitizes you to itself. In other words, after time, you're so used to excusing it, you no longer feel convicted about it. Watch. Search it out with disciplined, spirit-led self-examination. Ask God, look at me. Focus on the living Christ and his love for you on the cross. Notice it's not an effort to just beat ourselves up until we feel terrible. No, no, look at Jesus who's forgiven us. Pray asking for strength to say no to sin's suggestion and to fortify yourself against bad habits by forming good ones contrary to them. It's eminently practical, isn't it? And lastly, ask Christ to kill the sinful urge you're fighting. Hallelujah. Get violent. Lord, kill it. Here's my practice when I pray. I have a little prayer app. You'll have to excuse that. That's just part of helping me do my thing. It starts off with what I call sweep the floor confession. And what I do is I, <laughs> I sit there and I go, all right, here's some areas. Money, sex, power, pride, greed, coveting, deceit. And I take each one of those words and I say to me, God, show me where I've let you down in this. Show me where I'm weak on this. Show me where I'm giving myself a free free pass here. And then I confess it. And I confess it knowing, that's why 1 John 1, 8 to 10 is there, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Never do it to feel condemned. Do it as a journey to holiness. I'm going to pray that we would be people who don't merely come near to God with our lips, but we would come to him with our whole heart. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's, <laughs> pride's such a, a tricky one. It's so easy for us to look at the disciples and think they're slow to look at the Pharisees and think that they're out of date, and yet, good Lord, to give ourselves a free pass on our sin. Father, forgive us. Help us to feel the uncomfortable searching gaze of your Spirit, that we may turn from what we've done wrong, fall at your feet, and ask for forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that it's there for us. Save us from hypocrisy. Fill us with love for you. And Father, we rejoice in your Holy Spirit and pray that you would grow the the fruit of the Spirit in abundance. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.